it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of work. And every day, it's more work and more planning. But I know why I want it. Hey, welcome to Candidate. My name is Devin Handy, and I'm your host. Normally, I host Hellbent Podcast, a feminist news and analysis show. But I've teamed up with Emily's List to bring you Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. Each week, we speak with different women who are running for office across the country. And I have to say that this is the week that I've been waiting for. I had the absolute pleasure to interview Stacey Abrams. She's running for governor in the state of Georgia and has become something of a political rock star. She is a warm, smart, accomplished woman. And if she wins, she would be the first black woman to ever be a governor of any state. But it's not just that that makes her so extraordinary. Stacey really believes in her state and she believes in what she's doing and more than that, she believes in the power of the people and the power of democracy. So much of her campaign has hinged on her get out the vote efforts. She has put more time and effort into registering and turning people out to the polls than I think any other candidate in this election cycle. Georgia is notorious for their voter suppression, especially under the leadership, let's call it, of current Secretary of State Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp has led a campaign to suppress the vote in Georgia that predates this election. Oh, and just so we're clear, he's also running against Stacey Abrams. So if that seems like conflict of interest, congratulations, it's a conflict of interest. But he refuses to step down, despite Stacey Abrams and others calling for him to do so. But it, is be, it has been his mission to make it more difficult for Georgians to vote. And just one example is his quote-unquote perfect match policy. So under this, he has decided that all of your records and your voter registration must match perfectly. So if, for example, your address is 123 Main Street, and on one document, it was street was abbreviated to ST, and another document, it was written out as S-T-R-E-E-T, your voter registration would then be invalid because it does not match perfectly. Because of that, the Secretary of State's office is currently sitting on about 53,000 voter registrations that do not perfectly match. And surprise, surprise, over 70% of those are of African-American constituents. So this is just one very small example of how he is making it more difficult for people to vote, whereas Stacey Abrams is basing her entire campaign on getting as many people as possible to vote. If for that reason alone, Stacey Abrams is the right choice for governor of Georgia. But beyond that, she is just a brilliant political mind and more qualified than I would argue anyone running for office right now. She's also this unrelentingly positive force in politics right now. And as we approach the midterms and as we, you know, are kind of exhausted by this never-ending cycle of news and scandal and and really terrible things happening. It can sometimes be overwhelming and daunting, especially this close to the election. And I myself have been feeling very overwhelmed and stressed. And I have to say that 
speaking with Stacy made me feel so much better, not only because she she is such a positive force in politics right now, but because she is a positive person and a person who truly believes in democracy in this country and what she's doing. And I'm going to keep this really short because I think Stacy's interview really speaks for itself. But, you know, early voting has started in Georgia. And thanks to Stacey Abrams, so many more people are registered. So many more people are turning out. So please enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed getting it. It was exactly what I needed to hear as we come up on the midterm elections. I'm very pleased to announce that our guest today is Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor of Georgia. She was a leader in the, she was the minority leader in the Georgia State House Representatives, and she is also an author, scholar, and makes all of this look really easy, even though it is clearly not. So Stacey, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So I really want to talk to you about your campaign's get out the vote effort, because obviously, you know, midterms are are tough to get people to come out to vote anyway. And then particularly in Georgia right now, your opponent, Brian Kemp, is the current secretary of state. He hasn't stepped down and he's actually sitting on over 50,000 voter registration applications that are that he's put on hold. So what what is your strategy with your get out the vote campaign? So first of all, we are fighting hard to get those 53,000 onto the rolls. Uh, right now, Mr. Kemp is suggesting that if they just show up with their IDs, they will be allowed to vote. But I have very little faith in the accuracy of his uh, suggestion. And so we're going to work hard. Their organizations have already filed suit, and we'll keep working to make sure they get to vote. But what I want everyone to understand is that we didn't, we weren't surprised by this. This is something he did back in 2014. And finally, in 2017, we were able to win a lawsuit against him, and he was forced to restore 33,000 illegally canceled registrations. And so we went into this election knowing that this is one of the tricks in his book. Uh, That's why we've been reaching out to more than 1.5 million eligible registered Democratic-leaning voters uh, to turn all of them out. Uh, If we can get at least 250,000 of them to vote, we should win. And so this additional 53,000, we want everyone to be able to vote because that's the right thing to do. Uh, But we can win this election with the voters that are already on the rolls because we anticipated this type of behavior from him. One of the ways we've been preparing for this is that we've been running canvassing operations since the primary. We've already knocked, talked to, contacted more than 3 million voters. And we're going to continue to do the kind of door knocking and phone banking that will yield the voters we need. We are going everywhere. A lot of campaigns pick a targeted group, a targeted group of people to turn out, and we're not doing that. We're talking to everyone. We're in every county. We're in every region, and we're talking to every community. We have constituency groups for every group that you can imagine because we also recognize that people vote when they know you care about their issues. And so we've done the deep work of understanding the issues that matter. Because if you are a Vietnamese immigrant business owner in Georgia, you may have slightly different needs than uh, someone who's lived here for 30 years as a rural African-American farmer. But you're both connected by wanting to have good schools and a good job 
and good transportation and excellent health care. And so our approach has been to identify and work with every community, but to know that we're all connected by a shared sense of value and that our policies have to flow from that. And go, go, go to the people, talk to them and tell them what you're doing so that they'll do something about it and vote. It really sounds like, especially when you speak about it like that, uh, it sounds like this is larger than just a campaign strategy. It kind of crosses into this belief or ideology that people should have the right to vote and people should have the right to have a say in the government, whether or not you agree with them, whether or not they look like you or think like you. And that's part of your campaign is to go everywhere in Georgia and not, not specifically target it. And I feel like on the other side, especially with Brian Kemp, so many, uh, so much of his suppression efforts are targeted specifically at minority voters, low-income voters in Georgia. And I mean, that that's clearly on purpose, but, but how, how is that, how is that ultimately just hurting his own campaign? Well, I think you're absolutely right about the difference because a campaign is about a moment. Right. I'm running I'm running to show people what I want to do as a leader. And what I believe very fundamentally is what you're doing, willing to do to win an election is a reflection of what you're going to do as a leader. And he is someone who spent most of this campaign demonizing and demagoguing communities, saying he was going to round people up in his truck, pointing guns at folks, uh, essentially trying to scare and send dog whistles about people's religious faith by announcing what he says and what he believes as though anyone who differs is somehow inferior and unworthy. That's the wrong way to run a campaign because it's the wrong way to lead a community. Georgia is an incredibly diverse state. And I'm running for governor because I want to be a part of moving the state forward. That means everyone. And yes, that means thinking about the low-income community. It means thinking about the LGBTQ community. It means putting myself in the position of a young Muslim woman who hears her faith disparaged and believing that my responsibility as a leader is to speak up for her and be in her shoes. That's why I think we are having such success because I don't see this as a craven tactic to get a job. I see this as a mission to improve the lives of those who share you know, the state with me. And I'm proud to have the capacity, the experience, and the chops to do the work. But I want the job because I know what we can accomplish together. Well, and a lot of the polls coming out still have you and Kemp in a pretty tight race. And... You know, you said that Georgia is a very diverse state, and and it is, and and Kemp is obviously targeting a very, you know, only one segment of that population. So, why do you think the race is still so tight there? The race is tight because the polls are reflecting what has worked in the past. Polls are based on likely voters, and likely voters are predicted by who voted before. And if you live in a state that has been dominated by Republicans for 20 years, that means Republicans are the most likely voters. And so if you look at most of the voter models, they do not reflect the current composition of our state. They undercount African-American voter turnout. They undercount Latino and Asian Pacific Islander turnout. But we know simply from absentee ballot uh, returns that we have seen more African-Americans, more Latinos, more Asians casting ballots. And we've seen white voters who've never voted in a voted in a midterm 
they've started returning absentee ballots. That's a lot of work to do to get your vote out early. And so my bullishness on this election is that we have changed what the electorate looks like. Polls are good as markers. They tell you where you think you are. If you're thinking about a, a, a train, it says that you're on the track, that you're between the rails. But a poll doesn't tell you where you're going to end up. The way you get to the end is by doing the work, and that's what we're doing. And the last thing I'll say is this. My, my friend, Ayanna Presley, who just won a congressional seat in Massachusetts, was down here campaigning with me a couple of days ago. And Ayanna had one of those fairy tale races where she was down by 13 the day of the election, won by 17 points. Right. And what she said to the crowd when we were at this rally was, you can poll people for how they're going to vote. You can poll for what they want, but you cannot poll transformation. Mm. We are transforming the electorate. We are changing it into something that has not been seen before. And you can't pull that. All you can do is work at it and believe in it. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, and, and like you, you said that you were really prepared for this, this voter bullshit. And you were really prepared yes. for, <laughs> and you were really prepared for that. That's very, that's very succinct and accurate description. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, was there anything that you weren't prepared for that, that, you know, Kemp or, or that you weren't prepared for in terms of, of running this, this race and it, it being as contentious as it at least appears to be. But like you said, you're right. You can't pull transformation. You can't pull what people really believe. You can only pull, you know, what the data has. So, but was there something that just you weren't prepared for? I, it, not in a negative way. I will say this. It has been one of the greatest joys of my life to be part of this mo- this moment. I was walking down the street on my way to an event and a homeless man called out my name and said that he wasn't registered to vote, but he knew who I was. And he said, good luck. And, you know, we chatted for a few minutes, and I wasn't able to convince him that he could register. But the fact of the matter was this guy not only knew who I was and what I was trying to do, but wanted me to know he was thinking about me. There is something in the connective tissue of America, and, and we're certainly seeing it here in Georgia, where people who are unexpected, feel hope in this moment and they feel that they can be a part of making something better Uh, we were just doing a reddit ama and there's a young person on the on the thread who says that that they were about to go in canvas for the first time and they were nervous but they were really excited i'm and i'm part of energizing people around elections young and old across racial differences and across regions And I didn't expect it to be quite this exciting that so many people who would think they have nothing in common have come together to believe that this campaign reflects their voices and they want to be a part of it. And that's incredibly gratifying and extraordinarily energizing, which I need in the last 25 days because this is a lot of work to do. (laughs) I was going to say, we're kind of in the... (laughs) My life sucks. Part of the sprint here, <laughs> uh, to put it bluntly. You're just in that. Is that a well? It's more like is that a hill? God, is that a hill? Exactly. God, that is a is hill. that one more hill? Yeah. Okay, okay. I can do this. I can do this. Um, yeah. Exactly. Well, no. It's it's it is really funny because I I mean I canvassed for the first time because of your campaign. There was no way I would have done it before, and then I seeing this get out the vote effort. I drove over to California 25, which is next door, and canvassed mm-hmm. for the first time. And it, you're right. There's Yay. something changing here um yeah so you know you 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 said you said like what you're running to be a leader you're not running to win you're not running to get a job you're running to be a leader 
what what is the what is something unique to Georgia that really ma- makes you love Georgia and that you think maybe you can improve on? Georgia is the largest populated, the most largely populated state in the South. It is so. In, I'm I'm I put Texas and Florida in very different category. Right. <laughs> so right. If you're looking at, at sort of the traditional South. Uh, we are not only the most populous, we're actually the, the largest land mass east of Texas. Wow. And, yeah, most people don't realize that. Georgia's a really big state. It yeah. takes a very long time to drive this whole state. I mean, it's not like driving through the country of Texas, but it is a lot of places to go. Right. <laughs> and what I love is the diversity of the state, and, and beyond racial diversity, it's geographic diversity. We have mountains. We have lakes. We have uh, sand dunes. We have these dense um, ancient forests and the Okefenokee Swamp. I mean, there's so many parts of the state, and there's so many different people. And, and that difference can either be seen as a weakness, something that can be divisive and terrible, but I see it as an opportunity. I mean, it's why we can bring the film industry here. They have every vista they want. Yeah. But it's why we can also bring you know, financial technology companies and agriculture companies, I mean, agriculture companies, and we can bring writers and musicians. We can do so much here. I love just the sheer vibrancy of the state. And, you know, I'm somebody who's had a lot of jobs. I've been a tax attorney. I've been a romance novelist. I've been a regular novelist. um, I've written (laughs) memoir. I've run an infrastructure company, I ran a bottled water for babies and toddlers company, I ran a fintech company, I've been a democratic leader. I'm a reality show waiting to happen. <laughs> and so I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the, the the diversity of opportunity because I contain multitudes myself. And so for me, Georgia is sort of a living, breathing example of what I've been able to have in my life, which is a chance to explore every facet of who I am to find success where it's available to fail and still get up and to know that there's nothing that is impossible to achieve. It can be difficult. And, you know, unfortunately in the state of Georgia, even voting can be made harder than it needs to be. But with the right leadership, I know that we can create, we can remove barriers and create pathways to opportunity for everyone in our state. And and that's an exciting opportunity. That's just an exciting exciting thing to know. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm a little teary right now because I completely. Aww. I know. I mean, it just. It, it. You know, we contain so many things, and and a lot of times, especially as women, we're told, don't fail. Mm-hmm. Don't try something new. Like, you know, stay stay small. Stay in your lane. Like. It, it's too scary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've obviously taken on all of these endeavors. You've done all of these amazing things. And, you know, now you're running for governor of Georgia. And, you know, when elected, you're, you're the first black woman to be elected to that, that kind of position in the history of the United States. So what, like, I guess for me, just thinking about how I viewed myself when I was, you know, a kid, but even 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, Like, what can we say to young women who are maybe voting for the first time or are watching you do this for the first time to make them believe that they can fail and they can do all of these things and it's all possible? (laughs) I mean, I just I think about like my little 18 year old baby self in college and like, 
the things I didn't do, right? Because I didn't have this sort of uh, role model to look at. So I, I don't know. I guess my question is is less a question, more just like, how does it feel to inspire so many people? And, and how do you continue to do it? Well, look, I, so I mentioned I, I, I write all kinds of things. Uh, in April, I published a book called Minority Leader, How to Lead from the Outside and Create Change. And when you're sitting down to write that kind of book, you know, I was supposed to write sort of a traditional political memoir. I didn't want to. I wanted to write a leadership, you know, sort of how-to guide and realized that I had to do both. I had to not write a political memoir, but write a true memoir of who I was and how I got to where I am. And the opening chapter is called Dare to Dream. And it's about how I completely how I failed at something. The very first, the opening chapter is about me <laughs> failing at something and how I thought it was the end of everything. And it turned out to be the beginning of so many opportunities. And then I talk about the fact that when I was 19, I decided to sit, 18 or 19, I decided to sit down and plot out my life. And one of the things I talk about is that it's not enough to dream. Dreams, dreams are important. But often we go from, here's what I want and how do I get it? And we forget the middle step, which is why do I want it? Mm-hmm. And the why is, the, is so critical. And it's the piece that, especially as young women, we're never taught to investigate. Because if you go from what I want to how do I get it, and you don't understand why, you don't know when, when it gets hard. Right. It's often why we walk away. Or it might be why we fail, because we didn't really know why we wanted it. And I've been able to change things and evolve them. Because I make myself think about why. Because sometimes the reason I want is because I'm mad at somebody else. Or because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm envious. Like, there are all these other reasons. And, and the real reason has to be because it animates your soul. And so I, I spend a lot of time in this book talking about my own failures, talking about my own stumbles. I talk about being in debt. I talk about making mistakes, not being a good friend. And I spend a lot of time in this book not only excavating this stuff, but but talking about it, even though I'm not terribly, you know, this is not my, it's not my safe spot to talk about all my personal business. Right. But I did it because of exactly what you just said, that at 18 or 20 or 40 right. or 55, sometimes we just need someone to remind us that we have the right to dream, but that dreaming is a skill. And I want people to know how to live that skill. And so, you know, I being governor but it took a lot of planning it took a lot of work and every day it's more work and more planning but I know why I want it I want it because I want to do for people what was done for me carving out opportunities and making sure that I was able to you know go to college and grad school and law school and that I was able to make mistakes and not have those mistakes follow me the rest of my life if I can do that for others, especially young women, if I can make it possible to be human and to be vulnerable and to still be successful, then that's the job for me. And that's why I want to be governor of Georgia. Yeah. Wow. And it helps that I'd be the first black woman to do it because, you know, hey, black women <laughs> get a lot of stuff done. It's, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> um, honestly, I know that, like, especially in interview and, and political shows, like, there's this idea that, you're kind of above 
some of the more emotional aspects of this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say right now that I am absolutely not. And Stacey, that is exactly what I needed to hear as we approach another Um, hill coming up to the midterms, because sometimes you just forget why you're doing something. And sometimes it's just so hard and there's another hill and you just want to, you know, stop. And it's really amazing. So Stacey, thank you so much for taking time. I know you are so busy and we have, you know, (laughs) we have five minutes until the midterm elections. Uh, (laughs) Yes, but thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for the get out the vote work you're doing. Like I said, not just in your state, but you're really inspiring people all over the country. And, you know, I, Brian Kemp can try his damnedest to keep those 53,000 people from voting. But I have a feeling that with you on the case, it's not going to be possible for him. So thank you so much. Devin, thank you for all the work you've done all year, you. you and your extraordinary team to lift up voices and to tell people stories so that we know we can take our country back and take it in the right direction. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That is it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that interview feel, filled you with as much joy and as hope as it did for me. I, I like I said to Stacy, it was just exactly what I needed to hear. And, you know, it, it's hard when, when there's so much stress and there's so much going on, but to have someone like Stacey Abrams running for office really reminds me all of the great things about this country, all of the great things we can accomplish when we come together and we work together and we work to become the, the country that our founders wanted us to be. And Stacey Abrams exemplifies that like no other candidate I can think of. So stay tuned for our next few episodes as we approach these midterms. We're going to be talking more about, you know, just how incredible this election cycle has been and how important these midterms are. I hope Stacey refreshed your soul like she refreshed mine. So take care of yourselves. Stay strong and don't forget to vote, especially in Georgia. You can vote now. Early voting is open. So get out there and vote. So stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be talking to more female candidates that will fill you with more hope and more inspiration. So as we run up to the midterms together, we can do this.